Hi, I'm Assemblymember Phil Ting, and I'm on race and coronavirus because I'm concerned about the rising level of hate against Asian Americans who are wrongly being blamed for COVID-19. Let's stand together as a community against this virus, not each other. Welcome to Race and Coronavirus, a new podcast and newsletter by two veteran journalists. I'm Levy Sumagaisai. And I'm Patty Nabalta. We're two longtime barrier journalists who have covered everything from tech news to high fashion and luxury living to politics and race and demographics. And we've decided to turn our attention to how COVID-19 and the resulting crisis is affecting minority and immigrant populations. Our first guest is Assemblymember Phil Ting, who represents the 19th Assembly District in California. We've chosen him as our first guest because he's been very outspoken about the backlash against the Asian community as a result of the pandemic. Assemblymember Ting, thank you for joining us today. Can you talk about how diverse your district is? My my district is is very diverse. It's over 40% Asian, has a very significant Caucasian population. I think it's about 25%, and then the remaining population will be African-American and Latino. And with an Asian population, it's uh, heavily Chinese, but has a huge Filipino population in Daly City as well as South San Francisco. So Stop AAPI Hate is a joint effort by the Asian Pacific Policy and Planning Council, Chinese for Affirmative Action, and San Francisco State University's Asian American Studies Department. They are tracking anti-Asian incidents. And they said this week that they received almost 1,500 reports of these incidents in the first four weeks since they've had the tool. There's been at least one high-profile incident from San Francisco that was covered in the New York Times. And I've talked to a couple of other people who have either witnessed an instance or know about one. Have your constituents reported such incidents to your office? And if so, what are you telling them? You know, we're, we're telling everyone to, we've been directing everybody to the CAA AppCon website, really encouraging them to report these incidents to them. We also have been encouraging people to report to law enforcement. Uh, obviously, we've been very active. I've been very active on this hate crimes issue. I passed a bill two years ago to, to update the POST standards. POST is the statewide agency that provides standards for peace officers. So we wanted to update the hate crimes standards because we felt that there wasn't adequate training for peace officers all around the state. And what we're seeing now is obviously people are very angry. People want to find somebody to blame for being forced to stay at home, perhaps for losing their job perhaps for not being able to open their small business. And many of them are turning and targeting Asian Americans, and not just in the Bay Area, but all over the country. Usually we think in the Bay Area, oh, because we have such a diverse population, we have a large number of Asian Americans, oh, things like that wouldn't happen here. Well, there's been hate graffiti on the streets in San Francisco. There's been that famous spitting incident where just a young woman was just going to the gym at the street corner, minding her own business, and she got spit on and yelled at. And what we see, um, again, what's not surprising is the 1,500 incidents. But if you think about the 1,500 incidents that have been reported, it's probably 10 or 20-fold that because most people aren't going to take the time to go to a website and relive this very horrible incident. Many of these incidents aren't 
particularly criminal incidents because a lot of it is verbal harassment or shunning, shunning where people don't want to touch you or serve you or stay away from you, or it's verbal harassment and may not qualify as an actual crime. So you actually don't even go to the police. Mm-hmm. So most people aren't going to want to relive that. So it's actually very surprising that 1,500 people would actually have the courage to step forward. But to me, it's, it means that there are you know, probably hundreds of thousands of more people who, who decided not to step forward or haven't even heard about this website. Yeah. I just want to follow up on that because it, it makes me curious. I wanted to ask you, Assemblymember um, Ting, that have you been personally impacted by the backlash against the Asian community? Um, have you been discriminated against and has it posed any challenges for you as a legislator? Well, it's very interesting, right? I, I'm carrying a bill that became controversial to have an eviction and foreclosure moratorium in California. And the idea itself, you know, to me, it seems fairly common sense. At a time that we're telling people to stay at home, the last thing you want is for people to be evicted out of their home. So it's just, just an eviction moratorium and a foreclosure moratorium during the state of emergency. But it's interesting, you know, we had some organizations send some very inflammatory emails that I think mischaracterized what the legislation said and did. This virus has really allowed allowed people, given them a license to hate. And unfortunately, we have leaders in this country that are giving people a license to hate. Assemblyman Ting, I know you're working on a lot of different efforts to help people in your district in the state, from help for the homeless to relief for renters and property owners. This crisis is hitting everyone. How can this problem of anti-Asian sentiment be given the attention it deserves when there are so many other problems competing for your time and other policymakers' attention? Well, I think, you know, first and foremost, we have the largest Asian American, Asian Pacific Islander caucus in the California state history. We have have the most Asian elected members. And if you ever think that representation doesn't matter, it absolutely does matter. And so when you have, and, and we're in both Democratic and Republican caucuses, and I know we are all united against the violence, anti-Asian hate. There's nobody that is out there condoning this type of action in either caucus. So you know, having that representation saying, you know, for these elected officials saying that this is a priority, this is something that we need to stop. The, the challenge is, is this is not something you can traditionally legislate, right? You can't, mm-hmm. you can't legislate changing someone's mind. And so this is really about educating people. This is really about bringing communities together. This is really about working in coalitions and standing together. And, and for the most part, you know, our caucus has always stood with so many other coalitions, whether it is you know, anti-immigrant hate or anti-African-American violence, things, things like that, where we have really worked with other caucuses in solidarity. So it is very helpful at this time where, where many people uh, stand with us. In fact, the Jewish caucus is one of the first caucuses to reach out and to, to really vociferously denounce all the anti-Asian hate that they've been seeing out there. Mm-hmm. I think that dovetails perfectly with the next question I had, which is how have you been working with your caucus to to shift this thinking from blame to this is a health issue? I know Assemblyman Bonta has been just as vocal. So how have you worked together as a caucus? As a caucus, I think since since we're all physically separated, it's made it a little bit more difficult to coordinate. But given that we all 
have platforms. We're all on social media. We're talking to the press. We are working in the community. I did a Facebook Live town hall with mm-hmm. Chinese for Affirmative Action and then also Professor Russell Jung, who's at San Francisco State. It was really his initial idea to do this, to do this website and just to really highlight the issue. And again, we are elected officials in our own right. And I think it's very important when you have government leaders talking about the issue. Yes. Speaking of Dr. Zhang, he said during a press conference on Wednesday that he fears that once the shelter in place orders are lifted, that these types of incidents could surge because people are angry, they're frustrated. These types of incidents are happening, like you said, everywhere from out on the streets to inside workplaces or people being refused services or transportation. And then also there are elderly Asians who are being targeted. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts about trying to protect the most vulnerable among us when it comes to these types of incidents? And any time you have incidents, it really is about coming together as a community. You can't ever have enough law enforcement. You can't ever have enough family members. It really is people watching out for one another. So I think that's why you have to talk about the issue. You have to talk about that this is a real issue. This is not just, you know, we heard somebody, something happened. So it's so important to publicize the issue. But it's clearly many of these folks are angry, but they're also bullies. You saw that two-thirds of the people who were attacked were women. So that was uh, rather shocking to me. And then it's a variety of ages, right, where people are being attacked, where you have elderly, you have young, you have, you have children getting attacked. And like you had mentioned, it's happening in a variety of settings, probably a little more narrow right now because we are staying at home and sheltering in place. But like Professor Jung, I am worried that when we go back and transition back into more normal state of life, that incidents will spike. But having said that, even more reason to be vigilant, right? We need to make sure that law enforcement knows what to do. We need to make sure that we have data. That's why having data is so important. This website, this data of 1,500 incidents, it demonstrates that it's not just one person complaining or someone just saying something, that this is a pattern. This is no longer anecdotal. This is a pattern. There's enough data. I saw a video over the weekend of just some gentleman in Vancouver throwing out like an elderly man looked like of, of what was a 7-Eleven or a convenience store. And it was just kind of shocking. Like the, the elderly man would just do nothing. And the guy just th- literally threw him out of the door, threw him on the floor. And the gentleman, I think, was in his 80s or 90s. And this is a you know, pretty big, burly guy. And you're just kind of like, it, it's, it's very, very shocking. Right. And, you know, I get, I get, um, people are upset. I get people are angry, but it, it absolutely does not justify this type of behavior. Yeah. I think it's important too to note um, with all of this news about discrimination and hate, there have been numerous acts of kindness to combat everything that's going on. You know, you see United Play as our friend Rudy. Rudy Corpus Jr. is founder and executive director of United Players. San Francisco-based violence prevention and youth leadership development organization. 
and they're out there in the neighborhoods passing out protective gear, you know, just on the streets. And they are, as you know, they are predominantly made up of black and brown members. And then you have the, the Filipino restaurant owners who are feeding uh, the first responders. So what encouraging efforts um, have you seen to combat hate in your district and beyond? Well, but just the outpouring of support. I know that when we did our town hall, just the, the outpouring of support of people who are, you know, just saying that this is wrong, denouncing this planned behavior, really standing with our community. I think it is so important. You mentioned so many groups are self-help for the elderly. They continue to deliver meals to seniors all around the city, a large number of them being Asian American. You mm-hmm. see the the San Francisco Marin Food Bank, again, very focused on making sure they get folks to every member of the community, and they're, they're doing pop-ups all around town in San Francisco. So, so I, I would say the, the positive to me is it's always focused on the positive, right? Even though you have these 1,500 horrific incidents, you have, for every one horrific incident, you probably have 100 or 1,000 acts of kindness. You have all the brave people going into the hospitals and working there every single day. You have the people who work in the grocery stores every day. You have all those people who are driving buses, working in pharmacies, making sure that we can get our medication, maybe sure we can get our food. So to me, I'm actually very proud of our community. I'm not going to let a few people really color our community or to bring our community down. But having said that, you know, we do have to stand up and denounce this type of hatred. We do have to stand up and make sure that this type of behavior is denounced as completely unacceptable. Cynthia Choi, co-executive director of Chinese for Affirmative Action, said that, yeah, like you said, a lot of these incidents aren't exactly policing issues, right? Because unfortunately, hate speech is, is protected that there needs to be more community planning and engagement. Do you think that there could be some sort of effort where we talk about these issues more in your district or in the Bay Area? Absolutely. That, that's why I did a Facebook Live town hall. All the town halls that we're doing are now virtual mm-hmm. town halls. And just like when we talk about keeping a community safe, we talk about having eyes on the street, we talk about talking to your neighbors, working with your neighbors. And, and that's the same way you stop hate, is to make sure that you come together as a community, you are avenues to bring people together. The other part is, I know people are angry. I know people are stressed out. You know, I was honored to put money, help work with the state to put money toward a warm line. And a warm line, unlike a suicide hotline, is just a phone line where anybody can call. You or I or anybody could call. You don't have to be suicidal. You don't have to be depressed. You just, all you have to do is just want to talk to somebody. And so, if you're angry, go, go, go call the warm line. These are folks that are there to listen to people and they don't ask why you're calling. They, they don't need a reason. All they know is that you need someone to talk to. And, and we're saying there's so many other ways to let your anger out or to blow off some steam. We really are encouraging people to look at folks. We, we know it's hard when people are socially isolated. Also, it's very stressful. So it's just trying to encourage people and give them more options where they can socialize, keep in touch with their friends, be with their loved ones. And I think that is very, very important. Well, well, thank you, Assemblyman Ting, for joining us. You're our first guest, so we're really honored to have you. And thank you for all the work you're doing. We really appreciate it. No, thank you both for all all your work, you know, being journalists for all these years. It's never been more important to 
have accurate information and facts and to really be able to have a diverse coverage of our community here in the Bay Area. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. Let's talk about what we want to do next and where we're taking this podcast and this newsletter. I think it was great to start off with the anti-Asian sentiment uh, that's going on in this country, but there are so many other issues and problems that are facing minority and immigrant communities because of this pandemic. So we do plan to address how small businesses are faring, what's going to happen to education. We're going to explore health disparities. Let's talk a little bit more about what else we'd like to do. And the the diversity in the workforce, because if you look at the sectors that are most impacted, whether it's loss in revenue or whether it's unsafe work environments, you know, with inadequate protective gear, a lot of those professions are staffed by minorities, you know, so what efforts have been taken to ensure their safety and whether it's financial or physical safety, you know, what's going to happen to them? Because once the mandates are lifted, it's not like we're all just going to go back to normal business as usual. It's going to be a whole other world that we need to adjust to. And for people who have been suffering either financially or have been exposed to health risks during this time, we need to recover. There's going to be a long recovery period. And what kind of support are those communities going to be given during that recovery period? Will there be equity in those efforts? So I'd be really interested in that. And, And I think it's really important too, as Assemblyman Ting pointed out, to, to talk about the bright spots, you know, the acts of kindness and how even though these communities have been widely discriminated against, they have done um, just as much as any other population to bond together and provide COVID relief, whether it's through food or making masks or, or things like that. So in the face of hate, there has also been kindness. And I think it's really important to highlight those efforts. Right, right. So we are looking forward to exploring those issues and those efforts. For more on our conversation with Assemblymember Ting, see our main story in our newsletter at raceandcoronavirus.com. Please sign up for our newsletter and listen to our future podcasts. Give us feedback, suggest topics, send us tips. And we thank you. Take care. Thank you.